Welcome to Church Talk. I'm your host, Amanda Hall, here with Reverend Laurel Gray. This is the monthly episode of this podcast where we talk about the month's sermons, world events, and how we make sense of the complexities of life. If you'd like to submit a question or discussion topic, please email it to podcasts at uucsw.org. And we'll keep you anonymous unless you say we can include your name. In this episode, we'll be discussing the sermons on strength after suffering, thanksgiving, and skills for self-compassion, all of which can be found in the same podcast feed where you found this episode. And we'll also recap those before we discuss. Hi, Laurel. Hello. We were just talking about how the sun is setting at 3.45 p.m. Uh (laughs) Because winter is upon us. Yeah, this is the the winter voice I make when I'm really um, high energy and heavy, <laughs> and we're not so about to not hibernating right now. No, and not about to grade forty policy memos and seventy final exams. Oh my god, this is not the sound of that. Jeez. Yeah, but it's um. Yeah, we're yes, we're not taking finals. We're no longer in. We're school. not taking finals. <laughs> That's true. So we started the month with our All Souls service, which we do the first Sunday of every month. Um, and remember our loved ones who've departed. Um, so that was a more of like a ritual heavy sermon, a service and not really a ceremony sermon, service. Um, and then there were the two that you were about to introduce. Yes. So the first one that we can talk about is two theological frameworks mm-hmm. for approaching uh, trauma and the time after trauma. Yep. One of which is redemptive suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, not not a fan of that. Very bad. These parts. Mm-hmm. If you listen to that sermon, <laughs> and then, thumbs down on redemptive suffering. That's correct. <laughs> and then the other one is post-traumatic wisdom, mm-hmm. which like, yeah, if that happens, thumbs up. Yeah. Um, right. Do you want to explain like super briefly the difference yeah um so uh redemptive suffering theology is some people so some people after the service correctly were like did that come from crucifixion theology like is this an easter thing so yes redemptive suffering theology is very much tied up with i don't want to say christianity in general because there are other theological interpretations that are very different from redemptive suffering But so redemptive suffering came from the, like, Jesus died on the cross to cleanse you of your sins, right? So the thing with redemptive suffering is that you are redeemed by the suffering, right? So, like, violence is a cleansing power for your good is is the the vibe of redemptive suffering. Um, And so in the sermon, we talked about how that can actually get really dangerous, right? Um, because then if violence is this like really positive, good thing, um, obviously we can see where that goes off the rails in life. Um, and I sort of took this approach of like taking a theological idea and then trying to scale it up to a really big picture to think about like, if you apply this idea, like over a really big span of population, like how that starts to work as a social mechanism. So that was the one redemptive suffering, super dangerous very unhealthy, um, gives permission to a lot of violence, um, also suggests that people who have experienced violence were somehow 
like dirty or in need of the violence to cleanse them. Like it gets real squirrely and bad. So that's redemptive suffering theology. And so then I paired it sort of on the flip side with um, post-traumatic wisdom, which is something that psychologists and mental health professionals sort of discovered and talk about, um, which is the idea that after a traumatic event, it is possible to grow and develop a greater sense of meaning and a greater sense of wisdom. They're not causative because, right, we're trying to disconnect this idea that like, oh, the trauma, what what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, right? Exactly that kind of idea. That phrase is a redemptive suffering theology, like in a nugget. Um, and so post-traumatic growth is like horrible things happen and the human spirit somehow is resilient, right? Um, and so the important distinction between these two things is where the power is located to change for the good. So in redemptive suffering, the capacity to change for the good exists in violence. Violence is a thing with the power to change for, to cause positive change. And in post-traumatic growth or post-traumatic wisdom, the power for positive change after um, violent or traumatic events, that's internal to the person's spirit and is also a thing that is fostered by love and connection and care. So the power dynamics are really, really different, um, which then like in a post-traumatic growth, post-traumatic wisdom sort of worldview, it means that violence is not a thing of ultimate power and it's also not a thing of ultimate good. Um, so that was a really prominent distinction um, between those yeah. two things. And it was funny because afterwards, um, like most people didn't, it was more likely that people actually knew about post-traumatic growth because we have enough like therapists in our congregation. Um, uh -huh. But redemptive suffering theology was a thing that like after the service people were like joking about it like clearly they knew what the thing was but they didn't they hadn't had a like way to talk about it before and hadn't had like yeah. the words for it and so then it sort of turned into this funny like oh that's redemptive suffering happening thing afterwards which was very uh -huh. which was like sweet that people were being playful about it um so there was a big sort of that was the big focus um, for the first service. So, yeah. You want yeah, to talk about it? Yeah. I'm like, I'm thinking of other things that could potentially fall under like redemptive suffering logic. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about like tough love. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Like, do you think that is like a manifestation of that logic? So I think it depends on what we mean by that and how it's operating. Um, a tough love is often like your suffering means you're being weak. And so I'm going to try and like sort of toughen you up by being mm. cruel often. Um, I think that there is also the reality that like in the context of loving and caring relationships, you can have really difficult conversations yeah. But that's not normally what people mean by tough love. Tough love is yeah. is like sort of this candy coating on like your suffering means that I get to like be mean to you. Yeah. Which I would say does fall into this weird like if you're suffering, it's your fault. Something's wrong with you. You need cruelty to purify you. So, yeah, I would. 
the the way that I think ge- people generally mean tough love, um, yes. I also it's think also love like, is not like an inherently squishy thing, right? Loving yeah. and kindness, like kindness requires a fair amount of honesty. Um, and so I think there's, this is again where we need to look at like, how is the power dynamic around violence and change? How is that operating? Um, yeah. So, because hard conversations to help people tell the truth in a way that's loving and caring and like supportive, that's a different thing. Um, but yeah. I think rarely people would call that tough love in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's like, I mean, there's, this is kind of like tired discourse or whatever, <laughs> but there is a fair amount of like grumbling about safe spaces, like <laughs> making non-resilient people. Uh-huh. Um, this is like the snowflake really dialogue. That, yeah. Does anyone really believe that, or is it just rhetoric? Anyway, I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> Cannot speak yeah. for all people's. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. It just any argument that's like, yeah, less connection is better, or right, or like that, or that cruelty or violence better. or harm or dismissiveness that that's gonna improve someone's suffering is like uh that logic is kind of part of um like our prison system too yeah um like we'll cleanse you of your like, yeah like paying yeah, your yeah. Debt to society is like cleansing you of your sin of criminality <gasps> i hadn't thought about that that's a really good example enduring this cruelty yeah 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 and i think like the flip side to that like a post-traumatic growth look at um well, well, how how do we even use the right words to talk about this um like transformative and restorative justice right exactly but yeah is, those is that to me that. is like that's a post-traumatic wisdom of like yes horrible things have happened and people have done horrible things and those are not the ultimately determining factors in their lives and it is possible to not do those things again and to, to and repair. that's also not yeah, that's not the principle on which we're basing what we do next. Right. Yeah. Is that, like, this ultimate violence is, like, the last word, and so we have to answer it with other violence. Right. To have, like, a, a pure, a purifying Right, effect. balanced system. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. is also... I think it's... What, what were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say that, like, prison as an alternative to, like, other punishments was originally like supposed to it was originally put forth by religious activists really were like yes i didn't know um yeah Uh, was it to purify them it was yes ideal like initially it was all solitary confinement (gasps) was all that was because it was like quiet time to reflect oh my god and and stuff um and then we figured out which is literally is. the opposite of anything that would be positively yes. transformative to society or individuals right wow but it was also originally supposed to be like reform to be like a less dire and cruel punishment because like there was like oh because it was supposed to be nice to spend time alone with yourself 
Well, it was supposed to be nice to not be like doing hard labor or like physically assaulted in public. Originally. Right, because this is this we're talking like the era thing. of like a long stocks, time ago, a right? long time of ago. like being yeah. Yeah. tied up in the public square. And so the original idea of like instead just like confine them so that they can, you know, do the spiritual work of just like being alone with their thoughts was like supposed to be more humane. Um, but that's a really weird thing to think about. Yeah, it didn't super work out. <laughs> Um, understatement (laughs) but like that was the thought that totally Um, makes sense though yeah yeah but I think that's part of why it's so hard to um advance any kind of like improvement of conditions inside prison yeah it's like let alone abolishing the prison system yeah they deserve it right well well they should be suffering yeah right the idea right like well, they should have thought of that before they... Yeah, whatever. right, right. As if as if we're not all deeply entwined in, like, societal yeah. realities and... Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about it that way, but yeah. But, like, the first time people experience violence is never by perpetuating it. Yeah. Um, it's just the way it goes. So, <sighs> yeah. Man. Anyway. So, oh, so what I was going to say was um, that this also comes down to, like, to me, what it means to be a universalist and a person of covenant is that my actions are never determined by what someone else supposedly does or does not deserve, right? Like, our commitment as people of a religious tradition um, and a covenant to treat other people with inherent worth and dignity, it doesn't matter how they're acting, right? Because that's a that's a promise with myself and my community about how I'm going to act. Right. So like, so there's universalism asks us to step out of the dynamic of like my behavior will be determined by how much you need to be corrected. Right. Yeah. Um, So I think that's, I didn't, I didn't make that connection in the sermon because it was really like, here are two really big ideas that I want you to like digest thoroughly, right? Um, uh-huh. But I think that's, that's part of what it means to be, to be a universalist and to be a Unitarian Universalist. Um, and we're going to talk about this more in January because um, the theme for January is an ethic of love or liber- no, liberating love. Um, and so we're going to talk about you know, love is an ethic at the center of our tradition. So to be continued after Christmas. Okay. Um, yeah, the next one was from the like multi-faith Thanksgiving mm-hmm. service, um, which was kind of a, it was a little quick hit about yeah. shared humanity yep. as like a thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so this is a um, town tradition. It's been apparently been going on for about 40 years. Um, and originally it was an ecumenical service. So meaning a, um, like the interfaith was within the scope of Christianity service. Um, and then in the last several years, there's been the intentional shift to make it actually an interfaith service. Um, and so representing the whole breadth of religious communities in the town of Westboro. Um, and so the theme for this year's service was our shared humanity. Um, and so different, groups from different um, 
religious organizations did readings or they did music or they, you know, told the, um, the Catholic priest, one of the Catholic priests next door told this amazing story about his hometown in India, um, the priests and nuns getting together and outlawing the caste system in their town, which was like, that's a wild thing to think about. Um, yeah. Right. Like the power of faith to actually call us to be better and to change things. Um, so yeah. And so I gave a short reflection about sort of like, what is, what is Unitarian Universalism? (laughs) And what does it have to do with shared humanity? Um, so that's in the, the podcast feed as well. Um, for people who missed it. Sorry. I was, yeah. <laughs> the sun has officially set. <laughs> yeah, I was too busy being vibrant and youthful um, <laughs> to immediately respond to your comments. Thank you. Oh, it's okay. I'm knitting. <laughs> Rest assured, I'm always okay. knitting while we're podcasting. <laughs> to I keep do things feel cozy. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, this is like, could be cozy. We could keep it cozy. Yeah. <gasps> Um, let's talk about self-compassion. Yeah. That was the third one. Yeah. So I sort of for the arc for November, because often I'm thinking about how services sort of interact with each other. And this season can be really hard for people. Um, especially like the world is so fraught right now. Um, and I know a lot of people are having like, some really acute, like the turmoil of the world is also showing up in their individual personal lives. Um, and so my goal was to sort of give us some like gentle and slow down a little bit. Um, so the service this coming Sunday is also part of this, like let's slow down for a minute and take a little bit of sort of time together to be quiet and to be gentle. Um, and so I started with the service that was like these sort of in our brains thinking about theological frames and how they show up in the world. And then the following Sunday was um, sort of leaning into that, like it is possible for us to grow and to change after difficult things. Um, But it's really critical that we're kind to ourselves in order for that to be possible, right? Like we can't, we also can't redemptive suffering ourselves out of our own suffering. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that second service instead of being thinky and like sort of theology focused, that second service was really about specifically skills for how does one engage in a practice of self-compassion. So there was a really sweet story that I read that was a children's story, which I don't think I have next to me. It's called It's Okay. Um, We'll find the link and put it in the show notes. That was this very sweet sort of meditation on like, um, pictures and dialogue of kids being like, I had this thing and I was really angry. And then I realized that everyone gets really angry sometimes. And the refrain for every scenario was, it's okay, I'm here with you, I love you, as said to oneself. Um, and so I, and the congregation was sort of doing it, echoing it back to me, which was really sweet. Um, and so self-compassion goes through, well, I'll say to begin with, self-compassion is I. Is, is an idea that's central to Buddhist teachings. Um, I learned about it in the context of hospital chaplaincy. And so hospitals can't teach religion. Um, And so the way that they taught us about self-compassion was um, a psychological researcher named Dr. Kristen Neff. And she's one of the sort of on the forefront of studying self-compassion through the lens of psychology. 
Um, and so she came up with these three steps that are the components of self-compassion to stay in that place of self-compassion. Um, and the first one is acknowledging whatever hard thing it is, the sort of turning to yourself and listening to yourself and telling the truth to yourself about the hard thing. Um, so like in the kids book, that was the, I'm feeling really frustrated with this situation or my feelings are really hurt. Um, and then the second step is remembering that um, suffering is part of the human condition of what it means to be human. And so remembering that when we're suffering, that, that we're amongst humanity when that happens. So we're not alone and isolated and set apart because of our suffering. So like kind of normalizing that like, it's okay for you to feel those big, strong things. Um, so that in the children's book is everyone feels angry sometimes, right? Everyone feels left out sometimes. Um, not as a dismissal, as like a, you're not alone here, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then the third part is really this sort of um, Buddhist, like holding lightly of non-attachment. Like we're not going to be defined by that hard thing. We're also not going to dismiss it. So we're going to rest in this place of like holding what is true, holding it lightly and being kind to ourselves with that true thing. Um, and that could mean like I need to take an action to be kind to myself, to be caring towards myself. Like if I'm really overwhelmed, maybe I know that I need to take a nap or I need to go for a walk. Right. But it's this process of, turning towards oneself with kindness and saying like, I understand what's going on. That's valid. It's part of being human. You're not alone in that experience. And we're going to, we're going to hold it gently and kindly. Um, so the whole service was like sort of repeating these, like, these are the steps. This is how you do self-compassion. These are the things that you need to like hold for yourself um, to be in a self-compassionate practice. So Hopefully people have some like skills for those moments when they're feeling really overwhelmed and you kind of need your own kind self to show up for yourself. So, cause I think part of what I said during the beginning of the service was that just telling people to be compassionate to themselves without actually talking about how is like kind of mean. And like, yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, thanks for judging me. <laughs> It's uh -huh. another thing I'm not doing right, right. Which is why the whole point of the service was like, we're going to practice this thing that's a critical life skill that maybe you were taught not to do, right? Um, yeah. So we're going to well, practice I mean, it. The, that first step, I feel like, is the big doozy one. Yeah, right. Because you're supposed to, you <laughs> know. That like the hardest part. Right, yeah, right. Because, right, you're supposed to, you know, tough it out. Or, um, you know, we judge ourselves for feeling overwhelmed or feeling angry or feeling left out. Like instead of being kind, we sort of yell at ourselves of like, you should not. Um, so it's helpful to remember. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I definitely think like, yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. How do you do that when you like still have to, like do your responsibilities though <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes the only way I can like wake up from a nap when I'm supposed to record a, pod a podcast for example um is to like <laughs> bully myself out of bed <laughs> I mean 
that's, that's a really funny example. Um, <laughs> it was not a commentary like, on like needing to convince yourself to do things that you don't want to do because that also is part of life, okay. right? Um, uh-huh. So I think the it's compassionate the thing would be like, condition. I know that I'm tired, right? <laughs> People are tired okay. and I still, it is important to me to do this thing. <laughs> so self-compassion is not the same as self-indulgence. Exactly. Yeah. Which is actually one of the things that yeah. she talks about, right? Because the, the, the like over attachment to the, the idea of suffering that like, that it sets you apart or you're defined by it or that like it makes you special. Like that's not self-compassion. That's that's turning into like you're becoming attached to your suffering in a way that maybe is not life giving for you, right? Uh, mm. So we didn't really go there in the service, so because really it was like <laughs> I want you to leave with these three. There's a three step plan. <laughs> like, yes, thou shalt know the plan by the end of the church. <laughs> you shall know the plan. Are we? gonna make you commandments now thou shalt know the plan (laughs) you know i'm not in charge of that (laughs) for self-compassion yeah well i mean yeah if we're talking about like the core of unitarian universalism right and an ethic of love being at the center of our tradition we are included in that right fake (laughs) yeah i know i actually in in that service i was talking about um in um, as part of the Thanksgiving service, one of the Christian clergy people read Jesus's greatest commandment as the Christian scripture for the Thanksgiving service, um, which is the commandment to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Is like this is the this is the greatest commandment among all commandments, says Jesus. In it's in the book of Matthew. That was a really condensed, non-biblically languaged way of saying that. Um, (laughs) but this commandment to love your neighbor as yourself, like we get that that means to be caring towards other people. So implicit in that is the presumption that you should also be caring towards yourself, right? Because if you're being horrible to yourself, that's not an invitation to also be horrible to your neighbor, right? Like that's not what the Jesus man is about. If you read the stories about Jesus... (laughs) He's really into caring for the outcast. That's like his whole vibe. <laughs> it's like, yeah, take care of the outcast, right? Um, which, which then, like, this sort of in this like math equation of you know, loving your neighbor as yourself is supposed to look like caring for them. Then, like, that also means you're supposed to care for yourself, right? Um, and I've actually I've heard really interesting um, sort of reflections on certain versions of evangelical Christianity and how they can actually be so violent towards other people is because, because of exactly this problem that they are treating their neighbors as they treat themselves because they are actually being so harmful towards themselves um, with this, like, you know, everyone's humanity is so conditional um, and like the wrath of God is so pervasive um, that like in this love your neighbor as yourself it's really important that we that we work on the loving self part of that and not to say that like yes loving yourself is really hard and this is not a judgment um 
but to say that the effort to try to be compassionate towards oneself is a good thing. That's not like a bad self-indulgent thing. Um, yeah. So that's my soapbox <laughs> about. Cool. Yeah. And I will say well, I for think, people who struggle yeah. with this, um, it with trying to be compassionate towards yourself, it is helpful to to think about how you would treat someone else that you cared about in whatever situation you're in and then like sort of override your own impulse to be self-dismissive by like applying the, the situation to another loved person, a friend maybe, and then treating yourself the way that you would treat your friend. That can help us learn this sort of impulse towards self-compassion if we're really strongly not inclined to be compassionate towards ourselves so yeah i think the like this foundational element of being self-compassionate is telling the truth yeah like i think that is a pretty profound statement too about compassion to others yeah like right you can't dismiss what's actually happening writing it right, off doesn't help dismiss you can't like gloss over right, right the truth right and call that compassion yeah um we actually we talked about this a little bit during the all soul service because of um theology often shows itself obviously in like really intense moments so often with death people have a lot of theological questions and that's where you also like some wonky theology can come up where people will, in response to suffering, in response to death, there can be this like, oh, they're in a better place. And sometimes that is an honest response where like people do truly feel like death is a blessing because someone's suffering was so great. Often when people say that though, it's sort of like in, ooh, run away. Like, I'm gonna get away mm. from this thing. Like, ooh, it, it's actually a dismissiveness to say like, oh, it's better now, right? Um, yeah. Because of exactly what you're saying, like compassion requires actually telling the truth and seeing the truth, like being conscious of another person's truth, which yeah. is an important life skill. I think that's part of why, like, activism is also, well, okay, I'll go into <laughs> yes. activism. Tell me your I'll thoughts. talk about reparations. So, like, reparations is has a lot of different definitions, mm -hmm. but I think, like, a really essential part of it is telling the truth about what happened. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, if you look at the... I think there's, like, a UN framework for, rec for reparations that, oh, like, cool. includes telling the truth about what happened. Yeah. Um, so... Typically, we think about it as just, like, the government gives money to people. Yeah. Like... But that doesn't in, necessarily repair anything. No, but, like, part of... That's, like, rest. that's a restitution, but yeah. it's not reparations. Yeah. Like, repair requires telling the truth. And so, like, coming at racial injustice from a place of, like, oh, like, I feel sympathy or i feel bad and so like we'll we'll 
you know, there is the financial element, and so we can address the finances. Yeah. Like, that's not what reparations is. Right. It starts with truth-telling. That's, like, and that is probably, like, if I... Yeah, it's being together Honestly, in the truth. Like, because it's yeah. relational repair is actually what's happening, right? Right. Like, I think that will be harder oh, yeah. for the U.S. Like, that would be harder for the U.S. to get to, I think, oh, than yeah. even a financial reparations arrangement. Yeah, because we're um, so averse to suffering. Yeah. And and part and of it is this, like... threatening, if, yeah, yes. our narrative and our, like, story. Right, right. Because if you suffered, you must have deserved it. Right. right. Or if you haven't turned it into some positive thing that changed you for the better, then something's wrong with you. Right. Which you're is just complaining. Right. Right. Yeah. Which like, no, uh-uh. stop, stop assuming a victim mentality and right, right, you know, right. Stronger over it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Your, your suffering yeah. is your own fault. Like all of that is very, very bad. Um, yeah. And, and very much gets in the way of relational repair. And community repair. Mm. Yeah. I do think that we're getting better at it. Like, I think, especially especially younger generations, I think. Because yeah. I think part of this yeah. is, like, part of the reality of social media is that there are so many more different narratives that are visible. Um, yeah. That it becomes a lot harder to, to silence things um or to dismiss experiences because we can like i mean the horrible thing is right like so much is on display and also so there's an overwhelm factor um and it's a lot harder to pretend things aren't happening when you have a recording of it um yeah that's shareable so i more or less quit social media yeah I mean, I can understand why. Yeah. I'm, and I think, and, and not to like think yeah. about it as like a personal independent one-to-one thing, but as like a, yeah. the nature of the way that we all communicate um, because of social media has made on a global scale, people so much more connected across great distances. Um, yeah. Which will hold up even if you don't have Instagram. <laughs> yes right like this is true collective liberation not individual liberation correct yes i have liberated myself from social media yep. so everything is fine it's a lot um yeah and it's also I'm really it's about... a potent tool for those who are in the position to use it i'm thinking about like mediating like mediators mm-hmm. yeah who hold two very different truths mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah. Um, well, often, so I like think, per- yeah, finish what you're going to say. In particular, I'm, I'm, I mean, in particular, I'm just thinking about like the fact that sometimes like people just are going to have two different narratives that simply can't be reconciled. Yeah. Like some of like, they might both be completely true to that person, but they're in direct conflict with each other. And I'm thinking about like how hard that is for a relationship when you just have a different narrative about something and how to like, I think we really don't like that, (laughs) that tension. Complexity. (laughs) 
complexity. What? Exactly. And like, yeah, being compassionate toward the other person's truth without negating your own. Yeah, right. Means holding a tremendous amount of complexity. Right. And, and humility, our right? just don't that, like, like that. Your yeah. experience does not determine the experience of another. I actually took a whole yeah. class on this in grad school um, about conflict transformation. Um, and it was specifically mm. about like strategies for conflict mediation and um, like different stages of conflicts because you're right that they're like, there are ways to escalate and de-escalate conflicts um, such that they become more or less addressable in different ways. Um, but one of the things that I've found really interesting was part of with addressing conflict, part of what needs to happen is like figuring out what is amiss, like what thing is not fitting together correctly. Because sometimes you have conflicts that like, it's effectively really a misunderstanding because like two different people or, or different sets of people are just have entirely different sets of information. And so the solution is actually like figuring out what both parties are missing and giving them the information to sort of fill the gap and help them understand. Um, but obviously that's not always the case. Sometimes it is a lot more complicated than that. Um, and one of the things that they sort of trained us in is when people hold very disparate um, experiences and stances on an issue to look for the common um, value at the heart of the whole thing um, so that there becomes a bridge between two different experiences that that those two things can be true and that there is some like commonly held value that is still holding them together through which they can like come to some place of resolution or whatever it may be with a conflict, which is exactly what you were talking about of like, we need to be able to tell the truth and understand other people's truths without dismissing them. Um, mm. So it's a, that's a complicated task, right? Um, and it's not something we're really taught how to do in society, which I think is actually personally one of the reasons I think religious com community is really important and really potent. Mm. Um, is because I think it's a place where where we try to work on like skills for being human, right? And being human well, um, as opposed to like therapy is sort of on an individual level. And I think religious community is a similar sort of learning and growing and being spaced, but together as a community. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So yeah, come to church. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like I think church is a good idea. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought I the thought. minister was in support of religious community? <gasps> I mean, it seems pretty coincidentally <laughs> good. Like it's a it's a happy accident. I know it's so nice, right? <laughs> oh. Yeah, it's like a good thing. I, I can't imagine being that. a minister and not thinking that religious community had like a power to transform the world. I think that would be a really complicated position to be in. <laughs> I I can't really yeah. make sense of that one. <laughs> You're just like punching Maybe the clock. wrong career choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I don't I don't see it as a you know, just kind of a nine to five gig. Yeah, no, it's it's really not. <laughs> it's definitely not. Yeah. There's no clocking out on this one. 
Yeah, not so <laughs> why you change your name. There's like a whole thing. <laughs> oh man, goodness. Yeah. So well, November, and now it now it will be December in two days gosh. from now. <laughs> No, don't say that. Now people know how long it took me to edit this. <laughs> you can edit it out. <laughs> you have the power over the podcast. <laughs> no, I don't. It was funny, so I can't edit it out. That <laughs> is funny. We're all human, remember? It was actually really funny because I made a pretty big mistake in the worship script on Sunday where I had said there was a video to go along with the Share the Plate organization, and then I had also removed the video. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a good yeah. moment of like, look, our humanity is showing. <laughs> Everyone makes mistakes sometimes. <laughs> it was very funny uh, and perfect. Your your humanity is showing. I know. I think it's great when my humanity is showing, right? Because like it's inviting. Yeah. I actually, I remember um, in one of my like ministerial formation groups when I was like a baby minister with other baby ministers, um, who were like meaning when we were in seminary um and one of the um people in the group told this story about how at she, i think it was at her church and um she had like r- really flubbed something and was like horribly embarrassed because she had like very publicly forgotten what she was talking about and then like couldn't find her place like made some kind of like just clearly was like a little off kilter for a moment Um, but then she was talking to someone who is new and they said that like seeing someone who could just publicly mess up and it was okay. was the most welcoming experience that she had had in a religious space to like, to be allowed to be that human. And that always stuck with me that like, it is actually a blessing when we are not projecting some perfect, like, you know, untouchable exterior that, that to be human is actually like, and, and to be playful about our messiness is actually a gift to each other so yeah i i try to do that i do think it's funny when i mess up (laughs) (laughs) well i mean the uu church is a pretty friendly audience it is yeah we are definitely not stuffy (laughs) not that other people are stuffy but like this is not it's all good it's not the opera where people are going to clutch their yeah. pearls. No, there's up. no like pearl clutching. If you don't clutching. hit the high G like, or whatever. Let's see. Yeah. Welcome to being human together here in this place. Yeah. Bring your whole self. Which has actually has been really sweet because other people have started saying this. I've noticed that like, oh, whoopsies. Like my humanity is showing. <laughs> oh, cute. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Well, <laughs> on that note, are we done? Did we podcast? <laughs> Did we do the whole thing? I, we, I feel like we podcasted. I think we podcasted. That's totally yeah, that a verb. Mm-hmm. Great. Uh-huh. Well, tune in uh, next time for... Yeah, and everyone... We'll have like our um, Spotify wrapped, right? Is the next episode <laughs> for December. Certainly not. We definitely won't. Get, we're not, not. going to talk about that. <laughs> I don't even want to know what mine is. <laughs> most listen to sad i feel like at one one year like my top two artists were taylor swift and john mayer which is ironic if you know anything about that is ironic um i think our millennial is showing right now (laughs) yeah my my millennial humanity is showing. like the specific color of millennial yeah 
my inability to cancel my ex, ex, like embarrassing inability to cancel John Mayer for all of his public sins. You know, um, we're all human. Showing. Yeah. Okay. See cool. you in December. <laughs> See you soon. Okay, bye. bye.